As that was wrapping up, and we were gone last week, several of us, we were gone to this one conference uh, last week, and so we were out of, out of pocket a little bit, but I knew uh, this week that I was going to be speaking, and so I was thinking, oh, great, this is kind of my uh, last time for this semester. I think uh, their staff said, no, you can't speak anymore after this. So, I mean, this is kind of my last time, you know, I'm going to get to speak, and so I thought, okay, it's good, you know, I'll be able to do that. So I've been praying and saying, okay, God, just great. What are we going to talk about? What do you want us to talk about, God, when we're going to do this, you know? And, uh, and then uh, I thought, like, this week, this week, what are we going to talk about, you know? And uh, it's kind of like uh, crickets. It's kind of like it is now. And um, so I was there, you know, and um, I was kind of thinking through all this, and I thought, now, God, um, you know, did I mention it's Sunday, okay? And, like, it's Sunday and Thursday's coming. Uh, so I was like, you know, what, what, what are we doing here? And uh, then I was like, uh, you know, it's Tuesday, God. Uh, just not that you don't know that. You created it and all. But, uh, you know, uh, what are we planning on this? And so I was over there, and the other night I was uh, there, and I was just thinking, um, I'm not really sure about this. And all of those, you know, all those things you try to comfort yourself with, as Carlene was reminding me one time, you know, uh, Max, this one of the guys that um, has really uh, built into me, and, and I've learned a lot from Max, used to always say, I'd rather hear an unprepared message from a prepared man than a prepared message from an unprepared man. And I thought, that's good, but what about an unprepared message from an unprepared man? I thought, now, God, <laughs> what, what, what are we going to do here? You know, and so uh, as I was thinking about all that, I, I began to think, and as I was kind of reflecting, think, okay, now, God, I, I really would like to hear from you. All that I kept thinking about was I kept thinking about this one guy a lot. And as I was thinking about him, I thought, well, you know, God, that's good, but I'm trying to figure out what it is we should be talking about this week. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, there's a connection. I get it. Okay. So it was, there's a guy that uh, many of you uh, wouldn't know him. He died several years ago, but he was a professor at a seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. And his name was Howard Hendricks. And uh, Dr. Hendricks was a, a guy that he was a great teacher, and he was a, a guy, probably one of the most influential guys I've ever met as far as just really being able to speak into people's lives and impact. And he used to always have these pithy sayings. I like pithy sayings because, quite frankly, people remember pithy sayings. And so I, I like that. They're kind of like sentence sermons, you know. And so he did that, and he would have different things. And there was one thing he said that kept revolving around and around in my mind, and it's this statement you'll see on the board right here. It says, my fear for you, he was talking to his class one day, he said, my fear for you is not that you would fail, but that you would succeed in doing the wrong things. And I think, boy, that is true. That is true. I mean, the biggest fear with you guys is not that you would fail. Good night. You're smart people. That's how you got in here. You know, the biggest fear is not that you would fail. It's that you would succeed at the wrong things. And so what I'd like to do in our time tonight is this. I'd like us to look at four areas that you could be imminently successful in and miss what God has for you. And so that's, that's how we're going to kind of spend our time. Now, for some of you, you know, you've probably, um, you, you've probably, if you're, if you're a senior, these are some things, hopefully, that uh, you've been building your time around. In fact, I can speak confidently for most of the seniors that that's the case, that uh, that's what they have been doing, you know. 
uh, if you're an underclassman, this is some things hopefully you can begin to, you know, kind of get on your radar and think, okay, I need to move towards those things because those are some things we want to do. I actually wish, I was telling Connor earlier, I kind of wished I had a chair tonight because I'd like to kind of just uh, have like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with each of you altogether. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, it would be kind of nice. I mean, it'd take a little bit of time if we did it individually, but, you know, if we could kind of do it all together, that'd be nice, you know. But what I want to do is just communicate with you some things about, okay, these are some areas that you, you need to be aware of. First one, first one is this. I fear you would succeed in growing in knowledge and miss growing in love. I really fear that you would succeed. You would become very knowledgeable. You would, man, you would be able to explain the Bible. You would be able to defend the Bible. You would be able to... You know, just you, you would be this person who just knows everything to say. And yet, you would miss the very thing that God has called us to do, which is really loving other people. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul picks up on this idea. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul says, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. See, it's really possible when you know a lot to begin to think that that's really what life's about, that that's really what maturity is about, that that's really what God is impressed with. And that's really what other people are impressed with, is how much we know. But the exact opposite is really true. In fact, if you've ever gone through something in your life where there was something traumatic going on in your life, like um, what you were looking for was not somebody who had these wonderful words of knowledge. You weren't really looking for that. I mean, many of you, you know, you've not had to experience uh, something like losing someone close to you. I remember when I was 16 and we were burying my father. And it was one of those things of people would come in and they would want to say things, you know. They'd be, well, let me tell you. And they would kind of wax eloquent about things. And I would think, yeah, not helpful. Thank you. Thank you. But you know what? It was my friends who would come in, and they knew nothing better than just, well, I mean, we might as well just love him. I mean, what else can you do with him? You know, I mean, so that's kind of what they would do. And you know what? Those are the ones that I still remember to this day because they were the ones that made all the difference. If we're not careful, we'll begin to pursue the wrong things. And we'll even be foolish enough to... You know, it's not that it's wrong to grow in knowledge. You need knowledge, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. You need to know things. Don't just walk around fat, dumb, and happy. I mean, don't do that. You know, I mean, you actually need to grow in some things. You need to learn some things. But don't confuse knowledge with maturity. Don't confuse knowledge with maturity. Knowledge is not it. In fact, when Jesus is talking to his guys, it's the last night he's on earth. He's getting ready to go to the cross the next day, and he, he knows it's his last night. In fact, if you read... In the first part of John 13, it says he knew it was his last night on the earth. He knew he had come from the Father. He knew he was returning to the Father. And he knew the Father had given all things into his hand. And so, if you'll remember, he goes through, and that's when he washes the disciples' feet. And he, he's talking to them. Now, these, he's thinking about, you know, this is it. This is the last night. And he tells his disciples, those that are closest to him, those that he's been investing his life in for three years, he says, guys, a new commandment. I give you, that you wow people with your many words, that you show them how much you know, that you just impress the snot out of them. 
And by this, no, that's not what he says, is it? No. You, can, you were like, what version was that? <laughs> yeah. The reviled, slandered version. That's what that was. You know, it, That is not what he says at all. No, Jesus says, guys, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. Now, did you see a part there? By this will all men know that you are my disciples. In that, you have love one for another. You begin to look, and what you see is, you know, the thing that needs to characterize our lives is how do we love? How do we love others? You know, um, sometimes you have probably met, now many of you don't realize this, and some of you probably are these people, but you know, you have probably met a few people that are a little difficult to love. Sometimes they call them siblings. Uh, other times, you know, they call them roommates. Uh, other times they just call them people that are sitting close to you. And, um, you know, there's something about these people, and you look sometimes and you think, I need to just get some distance because, honestly, these people just upset me and it's like no no actually you probably need to lean in a little bit because you see what God's trying to do with you is he's trying to help you learn how to love all kinds of people I mean it's really easy to love people that are just like you isn't it they think like you they act like you they look like you that's easy I mean anybody can do that but what God wants us to do is to love people that are very very different than us now, he wants you to love people that are like you, too. Don't get that idea. Like, well, good. I don't have to love those people. You know? No, I mean, he wants you to love everybody. But he'll give you some difficult people in your life, and that's not by accident. He gives you those people so that you learn how to love. You know, I was dealing with a, uh, a person uh, like that earlier. Um, and, um, in fact, actually, Connor and I were chatting about that a little bit. You know, one of the things that was... I was sitting there and I was kind of uh, talking about this and I thought, <clears throat> that person is interesting, um, which is a word my father-in-law used to use about people that just bugged him. He would say, they're interesting. And I think, yep, that's an interesting person. Uh, so uh, I was thinking this and all of a sudden, as I was going along, I thought, you're not really feeling very loving towards them right now. I thought, yep. <laughs> But justifiably, uh, so and I just kept, <laughs> kept moving on. And God said, hmm, what do you think you need to do? And I thought, what do I need to do? And I thought, well, shooting them, that's probably not a good idea. So, uh, you know, where would you bury the body? I thought, okay. So I, I kept thinking all these things. I thought, no, okay. So then I thought, you know what I need to do? I just need, I need to forgive them because there were some things that they'd said and stuff. And I thought, I just need to forgive them. And I thought, yeah. I thought, well but they don't really deserve it. Then I thought about this verse, as I have loved you. Hmm. Any of you deserve that? Me neither. And yet Jesus says, you know what? That's how I want you to love other people. Just in the same way I've loved you, I want you to love them. Now here's what happens if you don't. Without love, you can begin to look at people kind of through your knowledge grid and what you'll find is, as you do, your tendency will be to compare. 
you'll compare. And you know what we always do? We like to idle up next to people that we compare favorably with, don't we? We like to idle up and, hmm, what'd you get on that test? 70? Yeah, please sit right here beside me. I made a 90. <laughs> I always like to have people that look up to me. Uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, we kind of like to compare. We like to think of ourselves as better. Or sometimes we compare and we think, oh, I don't measure up. And sometimes we compare and we think, wow, they're more spiritual than I am. And other times we compare and we think, well, they're definitely not. And, uh, you know, we just, but we compare and we compare and we compare. And that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to love. And when you begin to really love other people, you begin to really celebrate them. You begin to really care about them. You help to deliver yourself from the whole thing of comparison. You don't need to compare. You're fine. You're just, your job is to love them, not to measure yourself by them. The other thing, without love, we can become very apathetic to the eternity, eternities of people. We just don't care. We're like, well, yeah, that's true, but, and it just doesn't really do much with our heart. But when you really love other people, then you really do begin to care about what happens to them. And so the first thing I, I would really fear for you, you know, that you would succeed in knowledge and miss growing in love. I hope that does not happen. May each of you, when people talk about you, to say, you know what? They love people. That's what they do. They love people well. You may not know much, but they love people well. You know, so second thing, I fear you would succeed at your agenda and miss his. I really fear sometimes that you would succeed at your agenda and you would miss his. Now, there was a gal we used to have on staff. You guys would have loved her to death. Her name was Anya. And she was just a, a sweetheart of a gal. She had a twin named Kiri. And if they were both here, you couldn't tell them apart. But um, they were over there. And so uh, Anya, Anya worked with us on staff. Well, actually, Kiri worked with us on staff for a while, too. That was always fun because they would mix each other up. But, um, you know, they were here. One day, Anya was talking. And she said, you know, I figured something out recently. This was like her senior year. She, she had gone here as well. And then um, about her senior year, she goes, I figured something out. I said, great, what did you figure out? She said, you know, when I became a Christian, I thought, this is great. Now I know God, and he can help me get the things done I want to get done. And she said, and then it dawned on me. He's not here for my agenda. I'm here for his. I said, huh, really? And she goes, you knew that, didn't you? I said, kind of, kind of. She's like, yeah. She goes, that is, she goes, that's new information for me. And I thought, well, that is good, you know. And, you know, it is. When you come to that realization, you know what? God's not really up there going, hey, I've really been wondering what we should be doing. What do you think? You know. Has anyone asked, been asked that by God lately? I mean, he hasn't asked me. You know, he kind of knows, you know. And so if you can begin to trust him with your agenda and say, you know what, God, I'll kind of slide that over here and front and center will kind of put your agenda and what you're about. And I'm going to kind of 
wrap my life around that. In fact, if Jesus was talking about that, he would say something like, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But we already talked about that a few weeks ago, so we won't. But, you know, that's what he would say. But if you begin to look, what is it that keeps people from really choosing God's agenda over their own? Well, John, one of the guys that hung out with Jesus all the time, picks up on that. And in, in 1 John, he writes this. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. What John tells us is, he says, you know, there's three reasons that people basically choose their agenda over God's agenda. The first one you see right there, he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, really, what he's talking about there with the lust of the flesh, it's really just this desire we have for, you know, a relationship over here or a relationship over here, a relationship over here. It's like, if I only had this relationship, I mean, there's a lot of people I know, and they're like, I really want to follow God. That is a priority. It's priority number three, right behind I need to find this guy or this gal and I need to get this career. And, I need it. and there's this stuff that goes on and what we think is if only I had this relationship, oh my gosh, life would all come together for me. It's like, mm, no, not so much. You know, and what you find is that's one of the key ones that takes people off. They, in fact, if you're not careful, it'll be one of the ones that'll take you off. Because everyone says, you know, when, when there's no one around that you're interested in, it's amazing how you go, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, I'm not ever going to get taken by that. But, you know. <laughs> then all of a sudden you find someone and you're like, well, but, but maybe now, you know. See, what you're going to find one of these days is, did you really sign on to follow Jesus just when he's going the same direction you're going? Or did you sign on to follow him even when he goes a direction you weren't planning on going? Did you sign on to follow him even when he doesn't have this person scripted into your life? Did you sign on to follow him then? Because if you did, what you're going to find is life will really come together. And it will really make a difference. If you didn't, life's going to have a lot of really sad places for you. The second reason that people walk away there the second thing he says the lust of the eyes now the lust of the eyes is just simply what we've talked about before the last several weeks just the desire for stuff sometimes you know have you ever noticed that you know every time I, I, i've got a few friends and every time like something comes out i can pick up the phone and say what version of the iphone are we on they know because they have it you know now it doesn't mean that their iphone 27 didn't work well it's that you know iPhone 28 is coming out, and so I have to have it because, you know what, it has a blue number on there, and the other ones are white. Oh, that'll make a difference in making calls. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they just have to have something new. And, you know, we, we kind of usually, we laugh about things that don't impact us, you know, because, honestly, you know, iPhones don't impress me all that much. They're good. I like them. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not sitting there thinking, I've got to have the newest one. But it's amazing how there's other things that we're like that about, isn't it? Like, you know, there's these kind of clothes, or there's this kind of makeup, 
or there's these kind of shoes, not that any Michael Jordans or anything, but I mean, you know, there are all these kind of shoes, and then there's just, you know, there's all these different, there's just this desire for stuff. And if we're not careful, what will end up happening is we'll begin to think, you know, I really need to pursue that instead of pursuing him. I really need to just go after that. The last one right there, the boastful pride of life. Really what that encompasses is just our desire to run our own lives, to do whatever we want to do. And oftentimes what we think is, you know what? If I could just run my life, everything would go so, so well. I, I would refer you to a, a couple uh, named Adam and Eve who had that similar thought, you know, didn't, didn't go too well, didn't go too well. See, we tend to think, you know, if, if we don't have anything to, uh, to uh, do then, when we have, we, we have no restrictions on our life, then, man, that is great. That is great. Boy, that is freedom. No, 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 no. Freedom is not no restrictions on your life. Freedom is choosing the right restrictions for your life. See, I mean, I could go over, you know, to the aquarium over here and start taking fish and going, you're free, you're free, and just tossing them out, you know. And they're going to be yelling, no, put me back. I like the restrictions of the tank. Why? Because they thrive there. When they're free, they die. You know, for us, many times we think, well, if I could just do whatever I wanted, you'd die. What you need is the appropriate restrictions on your life, and the one who knows that is the one who made you. So when you begin to choose his agenda and not yours, you're doing yourself the biggest favor. Third fear. I really fear for some of you, and please hear me rightly on this because I know some of you are probably going to get your knickers in a twist on this, but um, I really fear that you would succeed at disciplines and miss grace. And what I mean by that is this. I fear that for some of you, man, you would check the boxes. Oh, man, daily time with God, got it. You know what? Sharing my faith, got it. Engagement in ministry, got it. Been doing this, been doing that, you know. And you would begin to think that that is the basis of your relationship with God. Man, I'll tell you what, you know, and some of you, I mean, you wouldn't think this, but you know people that are sitting near you that would, that, you know, they would think something like, oh, my life's just going bad this week. I missed a quiet time. And it's like, well, you know, I don't think that's a basis for your whole life falling apart right there, you know. I mean, you may have missed an opportunity to get to know God a little bit better, but you know what? It's not like, you know, God's up there going, I don't want to talk to you right now. You missed yesterday. Do you remember that? And you're like, yes, I do. You know, that's not the basis. In fact, Paul, again, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. See, the reason you have a relationship with God is the same reason I have one. By grace, through faith. That's it. It has nothing to do with any merit. In fact, you know what? 
Tomorrow morning, when you get up, before your feet ever hit the floor, and before you ever think of meeting with God, he loves you just as much right then as he's ever going to love you. It's not going to change because you have a quiet time. Now, would it help you to have a quiet time? Yes. But not for that reason. Not for that reason. You know, in fact, when you look at the early disciples and you see them, I would encourage you to study their lives sometimes. One of the things you'll find, they did not glory in their great discipline. They gloried in the grace of God. And what you're going to see is this, that it's, I don't, hear me building like this monument to mediocrity and saying, oh, well, you know, therefore, just, you know, be undisciplined. No, I'm not saying that. You need discipline in your life, especially if you want to grow more in the lifestyle and in the very life of Jesus that he wants you to have. And if you want to really enjoy that and you want to really learn what life's about and you want to really get to know God and you want to really do what he's doing and join him in ministry and join him in the things that he's about in the world, then you need discipline to do that. But don't get confused and think that that is the basis of your relationship with him. It's not. I want you to look at three verses quickly. And what I want you to do is tell me, what do you notice about effort in each of these verses? The first one is in Hosea. Uh, some of you didn't even know that was in the Bible. Hosea 6, 3. It's in the Old Testament. Hosea says this. He says, so let us press on. Press on to know the Lord. Philippians 3.13, Paul's talking. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it. He's talking about knowing Christ. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then Paul, again, speaking to the Colossians, says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. What kind of things about effort do you see in those? That wasn't rhetorical. I was really wondering. What kind of things about effort do you see in those? Takes work. Takes work. Yeah. Takes work. See, we can get the idea sometimes, like when you talk to people about, you know, you, you ought to be disciplined, you ought to put in some effort, they're going, oh, 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 what about grace? And you're like, what about grace? And by the way, are we talking grace, the girl? Are we talking, no, no, we're talking grace. Okay, and what about grace? You know, and they're like, well, you know, what if you, you know, doesn't discipline mean, you know, I mean, doesn't grace mean you don't need discipline? No, no, not at all. See, you discipline yourself to get to know God. You discipline yourself so that you learn how to walk with him. You discipline yourself so that you can begin to learn how to live life the way he intends for you to live life. You discipline yourself for those things. But that's not the basis of your relationship. The basis of your relationship is grace. God is not opposed to effort in getting to know him. He's opposed to earning. He's opposed to you thinking that somehow you're earning favor with him by the disciplines you're carrying out. You're not earning favor with him. That's already been decided. God does not relate to you on the basis of what you do for him. He relates to you on the basis of what he's already done for you. That's how he relates to you. And so you want to you get that crystal in your mind. Now, you know, if we don't get that, what we can do sometimes 
is we can really think that we have to earn something. But when you find out it's about grace, oh, my soul in sad exile. I mean, that is just good news. Now, I don't know about you, but that's especially good news if you've ever blown it. Have you ever blown it? Have you ever, you know, you know that thing you said, like, I am never going to do that again. And then you did, like 27 more times, you know. Or, you know, those thoughts that you thought, you know what, I am, uh, you know, I, that's just wrong. I, I am not going to think that way. And yet you find those thoughts just creeping back. And boy, you know what, not only do you know that and are you aware of that, the enemy of your soul is aware of those very same things. And boy, he will bring those things up again and again and again to you. And I don't know, but one of the things I find today is a lot of people, it's not a matter that God has not chosen to forgive them. They have a really hard time forgiving themselves. And I really think, guys, it's because we're confusing some of the things about discipline and grace. You want to discipline yourself to get to know God? But God relates to you on the basis of what he's done for you, on the basis of grace. In Colossians 2, Paul says this, When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, to the cross. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would be willing to wager that for some of you, one of the biggest issues you face sometimes is as you begin to move closer into a relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden, the videos begin to kind of play in your mind. And you kind of think, oh, and you kind of have this thought, remember when you did that? And you're like, yeah. And do you remember the rest of it? Yeah, 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 don't need to show me the whole video. Yeah, I remember the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You don't really think he'd want to hang out with you, do you? Mm, good point. And we find ourselves kind of shying away from a relationship with God because we think he's relating to us on the basis of what we do. But you see what that verse right there says? He has come in, and how, how, how many of your transgressions has he taken away? All. Now, for you Greek scholars, you know what that word means? All. Yeah. All. Every single, now some of you are probably thinking, well, does that mean like all until the time we came to Christ, uh, and then we're on our own after that? No. You know what all means? All. All before, all now, all in the future, all. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When you begin to realize that then, you know, when the enemy comes around and starts running the videos, you can say, hey, yeah, I know that. You probably haven't seen this verse, though. Let me show you this verse right here. And you can show him that verse, and, you know, then he'll just go mess with somebody else, probably the person next to you, because they don't remember the verse because they don't take notes. But you know what? Uh, <laughs> If they do, you know, they would know that. And then, you know, he'll go mess with them. And then they'll all of a sudden say, hey, you know what? I should have written that down. That way I would remember that verse so I could show him that and he wouldn't mess with me. And, you know, it's a good thing. 
So I would encourage you to look at that. You know, another verse is this, that you need to be crystal clear on. Romans 8.1, when Paul's been talking, he's just been spending the whole seventh chapter of Romans talking about what a wretch he is. And then he says this in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. In other words, when God looks at you, he is just tickled, spitless about spending time with you. He looks at you, and I mean, he just, you know, his socks roll up and down. He gets so excited. He's showing your picture all around heaven. You know, he says, you seen this? This is my, this is my boy, Ben. You know, that's Ben. Yeah, yeah, you know, my, he just, you know, he, he likes Ben. He likes a lot of you. I mean, he likes most of you. Actually, he likes all of you. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, but, you know, I mean, honestly, when you begin to realize that, then you begin to realize, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, you know, does he realize what I've done? Yeah, he does. He knows it all. But he relates to you on the basis of what he's done for you, not on the basis of what you do for him. So don't let that fear become an actualization. Don't relate to God on the basis of discipline. Relate to him on the basis of grace. What it ought to do for this, you know, every time that you think of grace, it ought to fill you with just a sense of gratitude and wonder. How in the world would God come up with a plan like that? I mean, it just ought to fill you with a sense of wonder every time. Lastly, I fear you would succeed in thinking, I could say, follow me, and miss saying, follow me. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what, what, what does that mean exactly? Here's what I mean. Some of you realize that one of the things God is about in the world is he is about calling people to himself and then helping them to grow up in him, something we would call discipleship. And he really wants them to grow and, and be complete and, and walk with him. And we know that we have a role in that. And we know that part of our role in that is this. We need to really set the pace for others so they can see how to walk so they have a model of that. And then what we need to do is we need to get close enough to few enough that they can get around us and they can begin to follow us. And as they follow us and we're following Christ, before long they're following Christ. And that's exactly how God intends for things to be rolling out, kind of a ripple effect around the world. Same thing that's been going on since the first century. And so, you know, you begin to look at that. Now, here's the, here's the catch-22, though. Some people... They don't really say, follow me to people. So therefore, since they don't say, follow me, they don't really feel like they have to be modeling anything because they're not really saying, follow me. But then they don't really feel like, you know, that they need to say, follow me because they're not modeling anything. So it's just this repeating cycle. They don't say follow me because they're not modeling, and then they don't model because they're not saying follow me. You know, so it's just going round and round and round. But here's the thought that always comes in their mind. They'll sign off. If you talk about discipleship, people will say, that is exactly right. I agree with that. That is what God wants us to do. I say, great. In fact, I think I could say follow me to people. And what we really mean is something kind of like the Lakers. You know, I could kick it in at some point. Uh-oh, season's over. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we think I could actually do this 
if I chose to. Now, the reality is this. The way you know that is you actually do it. You actually get off the sidelines, get in the game, you begin to live it out, and you say, hey, follow me. Here's what Paul says. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. See, Paul understood two things very, very well in that verse. One, he understood that others need models. And secondly, he understood that we're to be the models. Pretty simple. You know, others need it, we're to be it. So, making disciples takes more than just knowing how. It takes actually doing it. Actually getting in the game and beginning to do it. Beginning to actually take part in what God's about. So, guys, my fear for you is not that you will fail. I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to see something in the newspaper, you know, about, you know, one of you guys has really failed. Probably not. I'll probably read stories about they really succeeded. My hope and my prayer for you is that you succeed at the right things. So as you're thinking about some of these, like let me give you a couple of things that you could you could begin to do. As you begin, you know, kind of looking and thinking and focusing on things God's helped you make progress in this year and uh, things that you need to grow in, etc. I would encourage you to ask something. Ask, you know. What things do I need to stop? What things do I need to start? What things do I need to continue for this next part of the journey that God has me on? What do I need to stop? What do I need to start? What do I need to continue for this next part of the journey that God has me on? For some of you, that's going to be graduation, and you're going to be transitioning into some things. And so what are the things you need to start what are the things you need to stop? What are the things you need to continue? And over the next few weeks, you know, continue looking at those, continue assessing those. And then as you move into the future, for you, for some of you that are, you know, freshmen, that'll be, you know, moving towards your sophomore year. For some of you that are seniors, it's going to be moving, hopefully not into the parents' basement, but actually, you know, moving out and, you know, having a job. So uh, as you move into that unfamiliar part of the journey, a um, couple of things I would encourage you to do. Ask for help in adapting those stop, start, and continue things in your life. You know, ask for some help. Ask God for help. Ask others for some help. Ask for some help to begin to build those things into your life. And then lastly, ask for, mainly from God in this one, ask for and give yourself grace. Because that is the basis with which God relates to us every single day. And if we will learn to do that, we'll learn to actually live in his grace and walk with him in the midst of that. What we'll find is he'll keep us on track instead of us having that prone to wonder where we lean out and really begin to go a different direction. So let me pray for us. We'll uh, invite the worship crew back up. Father, thanks that uh, you not only encourage us to succeed at the right things, but in your word, you show us how to do that. 
Can you give us a clear picture of um, how we can begin to live that out in practical ways? So, Father, would you, would you help us to really lean into you, to really trust you with all our hearts? And, Father, would you help us to really um, be about the very things that you are about in our lives? And we would relate to you, Father, on the basis of what you've already done for us. And we pray those things in Jesus' name.